Right now, I want to launch into the message that God placed upon my heart for all of the fathers, be it a biological father where you have biological, physical offspring, grandchildren, children, or those that are spiritual fathers, that there are individuals that have come under your tutelage. You are mentoring them and discipling them and imparting life into them like a Paul to a a Timothy. Now, I'm cognizant of the fact that there are more than just fathers here today and joining us online. I believe what God is going to speak is going to spill right over into your ears and challenge your heart as well and empower you. So please, everyone who's here, listen attentively to what I believe God wants to speak, even though it's directed to the fathers. I felt like the Lord placed upon my heart to speak about fathering by the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. How to father through the work presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. Now that might sound ethereal, a little conceptual and abstract, a little philosophical. And for men, we like to be very uh, pragmatic. We think linear and we want to deal with the situation head on. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit is real. Scripture calls him the parakletos, the one who is called alongside to comfort, to encourage, to enable, to empower us. So we can do it when we recognize that his presence is truly with us. There's a scripture that's found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 and 17 that says this. So I say, now this is the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, making this declaration. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh is the sinful nature, that part of us, that nature within us that wants to do wrong, evil, disobey God. For the flesh, the sinful nature, desires what's contrary to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, that's good for all of us to hear, not just fathers, everyone, that we can't just do whatever we want because there's a sinful nature that has to be crucified. Now, there's a promise in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9 that says there's a seed within you, if you've been born again, a seed that God has given to you, and what that is is a godly nature, an ability to live a godly life because God has deposited his seed into you, married to the reality of the Holy Spirit being with you to be able to do something you could never do in your own power or in your own strength. I don't want to live my life in the flesh. I've seen enough of that. Have you seen enough of you living your life in the flesh where the sinful nature dominates? You become mean-spirited and angry and cantankerous and unkind and envious and jealous and prideful and arrogant, and the list can go on and on and on. I want to live my life in the spirit in harmony with, connected to, rooted in the Holy Spirit. 
being obedient to him, in my fathering of my own offspring, my children, my grandchildren. I want to do that in the context of my relationship with all of you as a shepherd, as a pastor, as a spiritual father to many of you, all of us. I hope we purpose in our heart to say, I want not to be in the flesh, but in the spirit. I want a father I want to mentor. I want to disciple. I want to influence others in my sphere of influence by the Holy Spirit, not just with my own gifts or talents, abilities, or personality, but with his presence with me. Now, I'm motivated to do that in my own marriage. I want to be in the spirit in my marriage relationship with Diane. I want to be in the spirit in my relationship with my own children. I want to be in the spirit in my relationship with all of you as I minister to you as a shepherd, even with my grandchildren. God has blessed me with many grandchildren, six of them, and there's one more on the way. Well, you could see my smile there. I'm thinking, oh, I want my grandchildren not to be impacted by grandpa in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, I'm drawn to four different realities that I believe emerge when we consider the choice of saying, I want to walk in the Spirit, I want a Father in the Spirit. You know, when the Apostle Paul was expressing this about walking in the Spirit, I'm sure he was yoking that to the reality of the type of training that went on in many of the philosophical schools of the day. They were basically following the pattern of when Plato was a student of Socrates, learned the Socratic method, learned that through asking questions, you could possibly discover who you are and what life is all about. And then Aristotle, who was a student of Plato, but realized that when it came to being students in that time, it wasn't that they would sit in a classroom, they would actually follow by walking, following listening. Plato would listen attentively to Socrates as they would actually walk together. Aristotle would listen attentively to Plato as they would walk together. That's why in the classical Greek language, they'll actually call their disciples walkers, walkers. It was in that environment of following, listening, And so in one maybe practical way, I think of Holy Scripture that was penned by the Holy Spirit, every single book, penned by the Holy Spirit. The author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit. So when I read Scripture, it's my tangible, concrete way of walking in the Spirit. I enjoy reading many books, but I want to be a man of one book, the Bible, and influenced by it tremendously. I want to listen to Scripture and know that that's my opportunity to yoke myself to the Holy Spirit and to follow him, to walk with him, not in a classroom, but literally in everyday encounters with him. And when I think of these emerging realities, when it comes to walking and living in the Spirit and fathering in and by and through the Holy Spirit, The first scripture that comes to mind comes from the final book of the entire New Testament, Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 10. There, the apostle John will actually say this of himself. I was in the Spirit. Remember, we want to be in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, you might think, well, 
I guess that gets me off all the other days of the week. I could be in the flesh, but I'll make sure on Sunday I'm in the spirit. No, no. This sets the pattern for all of us to consecrate every day into God's hands and thereby live in the spirit, just like the apostle John. The way I look at it is I say each day when I come before the Lord, I say, this is no longer my day. This is not my day. This is your day. This is the Lord's day. And when you purpose in your heart, fathers, and all of us listening, when you purpose in your heart to say, this day is not my day, it's your day. Not my day, but your day. When that happens, you'll have a spirit-filled day because you're letting him own and dominate and control. You're saying, it's not my day, it's your day. This is the Lord's day. And when you make sure it's the Lord's day, you'll have the heyday. Oh, I know that sounds corny, but that means it'll be a successful day because you'll be in the spirit. Now, this is what happened as a result of John the apostle being in the spirit on the Lord's day each day that God owns, when you give it to him, it's your day. What happened? Well, remember the prophetic word for this year is to hear things we've never heard, to do things we've never done in order to see things we've never seen before. That's exactly what happened to John as it's recorded here in Revelation chapter one, not just verse 10, but 11 and 12. At that moment, because he was in the spirit, he became a candidate to hear something he had never heard before. He heard the voice of God. God spoke to him. Do you long to hear the voice of God? Then each morning, let this be your priority. Say, God, I give you my day so it becomes your day. And I'm going to be in the spirit as a result and I'm gonna hear something I've never heard before. And God will speak to you as he did with John. And then John did something he had never done before because the voice he heard instructed him to write, to pen on scrolls in a book form, statements to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And so he heard something he had never heard before to do something he had never done before. And then all of a sudden, he sees something he had never seen before. He sees Jesus no longer like little baby in the manger, not even the one on the cross crucified, not even the one who exited from the tomb, but he sees Jesus in tremendous authority and splendor and majesty. The scripture will say in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12 that he saw Christ. His hair was white like wool. His eyes were like a flaming fire. His countenance was brilliant and radiated like the sun. His feet were like bronze. And what came forth from his mouth was a, a sword, a two-edged sword, the word of God. He saw Jesus in power and in majesty and authority. Think of how that will inspire us, all of us, but especially men, fathers, that when you choose to walk in the spirit, you'll become a warrior. You'll see the fullness and the authority and the power of Christ. Your eyes will be open. And then this is what I believe will take place. You will 
have eyes to see. Not just to look, but to see. Now that's more than just semantics, more than just a play on words, more than a mere conceptual distinction. I believe it's a biblical reality. There is a difference between looking and seeing. You see, in the Old Testament, they would call a prophet a seer, a seer. They had a perception that went far deeper than mere observation. You see, when you look, if you are a father and you just look at your children or you look at your grandchildren, a spiritual father, you just look at those that you're discipling, that's going to be observation that will rely on detection, assessment, and evaluation just on, on the data that you're observing because you're looking and it's present tense. But if you see, if you see, you ask God, God, I want to be in the spirit. I want eyes that don't just look. I want to be able to see. That's going to transcend mere observation. That is going to involve perception, discernment, not just detection, discernment. In the Greek language, that means to be able to pierce through the curtain and to see, to truly see. And what you'll see is not just present tense, but potential that resides there in your child, be them young or old, or your grandchild, or your spiritual son or daughter. You'll have eyes that don't just look and observe, but they see, they perceive, they discern, and they sense the presence of potential. You don't just look, a seed is there. You see the forest within the seed. Huge difference. I think of the men and women of God that would mentor me, that they had eyes to see a potential that resided within my life, and they spoke it. You know, the ancient patriarchs, when they would bestow a blessing, you know what that basically was with their offspring or their grandchildren? It was a calling forth of what God allowed them to see the potential that resided within them and to call it forth in the form of a blessing. Oh, that the Lord would so anoint all of our eyes, not to just look, but in this generation, be able to see and watch what you'll call forth and the faith that will arise within you. The second thing I believe unfolds is you'll have a mind that's fully illuminated and enlightened by God, that transcends mere logic and reason. It's been enlightened by God saying from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, let there be light. The scripture says in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2 that the Holy Spirit was moving and in that context, as he was moving, he was moving over the reality of a place and environment that the scripture says was formless, empty, and dark. But then what happened as the spirit moved, that things were created, altered, and changed. The mind that has been enlightened, that begins to, yes, see and then understand God will take those things that are formless, that have no shape, no identity, and all of a sudden begin to form it, give it shape, give it identity, 
not only within yourself, but in those that you're fathering, that you're mentoring. You see, I needed to realize that I was shaped by God to be a Z, not a C. And if I was going to spend the rest of my life trying to take that Z and reshape it and create it into a curve, I'd be so frustrated. I needed the Spirit of God and those who would mentor me to be able to, to speak into that so that I could understand, that I could have enlightenment, illumination. It would be a revelation and it'd be an epiphany moment for me to realize, oh, this is who God has shaped me to be. And so I'm not going to strive to try to be a C when God has created me to be a Z. And you know, each word has its place. Each letter forms into a word that then forms into a, a phrase and then into a sentence and then to a paragraph and then to many volumes. The messages of God that are proclaimed, but each of us have to be the letter he's called us to be. He takes that which is formless and makes it into a place of identity. And then that which is empty, he causes a fulfillment to come. You know, there's a di difference between accomplishment and fulfillment. You can accomplish when you complete a list or fulfill a task, but fulfillment, that comes when you marry yourself to the reality of God's call on your life and you do it. You will be pregnant with fulfillment, not just a sense of accomplishment. And so when the Holy Spirit moves, he takes that which has no form and gives it form, shape, and identity. He takes that which is empty and fills it up with a call that goes beyond career, education, or experience. But the call of God that's on your life and my life that brings fulfillment, not just a sense of accomplishment. And then where there's darkness, he brings light, illumination, a mind that has been enlightened by God. And I'll tell you, when you do that, you'll be able to understand the language of another life. You'll understand the language of your children, even though you might be an adult and they're in adolescence or in their teenage years, or maybe they're older and you're wondering, boy, I can't seem to relate with them anymore. I can't seem to speak the language of their life. They're drifting into another area. Or maybe it's with your grandchildren, or maybe it's those that you're mentoring or discipling. I'll tell you this, when I think of Genesis chapter 11, you see the Tower of Babel. And here it says in Scripture, Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1, it says there were a whole group of individuals that gathered together. They spoke one language, and they decided to build a city and build a high tower. The path that they were taking was a path of arrogance and pride. Now, I believe with all my heart that literally took place, but I believe there's a symbolic interpretation of that. I believe that when we elevate ourselves and become haughty and prideful and elevate ourselves where we look in a condescending fashion down upon others, you completely annihilate your ability to understand. It creates an inability to understand their language, the language of their life. I remember when I was in the Ukraine and I was heading off to a, a ministry meeting and this gentleman came right off the elevator and he started speaking to me in Ukrainian. And I looked at him and was like, I, 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 I don't, and he started to speak louder. And I was like, no, I don't. And he started to speak even louder. You know, we do that. When you're overseas and you might be in a different area with a different language, you start thinking, you know, do you know where the bathroom's at? No. Bathroom. 
No, bathroom, as if you say it louder. All they're hearing is, <laughs> and that's what happened between us. And I realized the only way I'm going to short circuit this is I started speaking real loud in English. And then it was like he had an epiphany moment. He realized, oh, you speak English, I speak Ukrainian. We're not going to get anywhere. And we just kind of passed our way. He exited and I went on the elevator. But I thought of that. If I allow pride to enter my heart as a father or a spiritual father, it's going to create an inability for me to understand the language of someone's life. But if I humble myself, I'll be able to understand their language and be able to speak it and in humility see transformation come. God wants to, yes, anoint our eyes to see, anoint our minds to be enlightened with understanding every language so that we can speak and influence others. Third, I believe that the Lord wants us in the spirit as fathers and for all of us to have a tongue that is set on fire, not by hell, but by heaven. It says in Acts chapter two that the spirit of God descended and what happens, it shows tongues of fire over them. He's communicating the reality. I want to set your tongue on fire, not by hell. James chapter three says, there are many tongues that are set on fire by hell, but my tongue would be set on fire by heaven, that I would have the ability to speak truth in love to one another. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 tells me I need to speak the truth, not in rejection, but in love. Now that doesn't mean you add syrup to it. It just means that you determine and you discern what is the most conducive environment to increase the receptivity of this person that God wants me to disciple as a spiritual father or this child or this grandchild? How do I get into an environment with them so that their level of receptivity is increased? And so I'm going to make sure if I'm going to speak the truth, it's not just what I say, but when I say it, where I say it, and how I say it. That's the mixture of love. When you say, well, I want to speak the truth. Well, you speak the truth in love. Make sure you answer these questions. What's the most conducive environment for the receptivity of this person to get this? I've got to pick the when, the where, and the how. So when they hear it, my tongue has been set on fire by heaven and not by hell with words of life and affirmation and even correction, but not being derogatory and attacking and negative. Oh, that we would have a tongue that is set on fire by heaven. Then lastly, that we would have a heart that is a warrior's heart. That we would be like what Jesus demonstrated and put on display from Calvary. The fruit of the Spirit that manifested through Christ. Now listen, I hear me, everyone, but especially the men here, the fathers, when you hear, well, I'm going to be a warrior, and someone describes a warrior by superimposing the description given of the fruit of the Spirit, you might step back and say, what? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. What does that have to do with a warrior? Everything if you don't buy into the connotation that society superimposes upon those, and you realize, oh my, if God is going to give you eyes to see, 
a mind that is enlightened with understanding, a tongue that is set on fire by heaven, he's going to give you a bold and courageous and warrior heart. And the way that translates into you and into me is that the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control begins to flow through the character of your life. And you realize those are strong realities. The power of what flows through your life. They're like warriors within themselves. It's an arsenal. It's not just a toolbox. It's an arsenal for warfare. That you have love that has the ability to break the back of fear. Joy can crush depression. Peace can overtake all anxiety. Forbearance and patience can literally cast down that impetuous spirit, that spirit of impatience and being in control. Gentleness will conquer pride. Self-control will conquer anger. Faithfulness will conquer giving up. They make you a warrior. Jesus exhibited that type of warfare from the cross. His love, his joy, his, his peace his patience through the process, his gentleness. Matthew 11 and verse 29, Jesus says, you want to learn of me? You want to find out the warrior's heart? I'm gentle and humble in heart. A gentleness that has the power and the strength to crush pride. Oh, let that flow through your life and my life in fathering. And so in fathering, when you get impatient, maybe with your children, Maybe they're young or grown up, but you're impatient with them. You wonder why they're not staying on the right path. At that moment, say, oh, God, help me to have a heart of a warrior that conquers that impatience, that irritability, even that anger with perseverance, with patience, with self-control. And Lord, when, I, when I'm fearful, what's going to come of them? I want to conquer that with a heart of love. When I become anxious, I'm going to allow the warrior spirit of peace to manifest. I'm going to ask all the fathers, would you be so kind as to stand? We want to honor you, and I want to pray a blessing over you. Let's honor the fathers that are here. Those of you at home, come on, if you're a dad, stand up. That's right, stand up. We thank God for you. And I want to pray this blessing over you first and foremost, and I'm just going to ask you to remain standing. If you've never given your life to Christ, there's not a more beautiful moment than on Father's Day to say, I want to give you my heart. Jesus, I want to receive you into my heart to be my Savior, the forgiver of my sins, and to be the Lord, the supreme leader of my life. I encourage you to do that and follow him then all the days of your life. Now, I want to pray this blessing over you, and then guess what we're going to do, men? We're going to be a choir. We're going to sing first, and then I'm going to invite everyone else. Now, don't turn that off on television. I just saw. Don't do that. We're going to do our best to sing because it's a song. It's a prayer of asking the Holy Spirit to be in charge so that we could father in the Spirit. Lord, I thank you for every man, every father, be it with their own biological children, physical children, be it through, Lord, spiritual mentorship. I ask that, Lord, today, from this moment on, they won't just look with their eyes, but they'll see with a level of perception and discernment that transcends the natural. 
I ask that their minds, O God, would be enlightened by the moving of the Spirit and the declaration, let there be light, so they'll have the shape and the fulfillment, the light that you want them to have and impart to others. Lord, I ask that you touch all of our tongues. So many times we say things we wish we would have never said, set on fire by hell. We make a decision right now by your grace to say, would you, Holy Spirit, set my tongue on fire, a pure fire that comes from heaven, that I would speak the truth in love. And Lord, I ask that every father would have a heart of a warrior, allowing for the fruit of the Spirit to rule and dominate in Jesus' name. Let's lift this as our prayer together.